Why did Jesus come to earth? We continually analyze the events of the first and second coming, but I don't think we spend enough time on the one who did come and who is about to return. Therefore, we will devote today's edition of the End Time Show to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries, and thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. Now, I know most of you are well aware that the world is chaotic, to say the least, and everyone is seeking for answers. Well, I can tell you from experience, the answer to many of life's questions is Jesus Christ. These are the things that you will never hear talked about on the nightly news, right? So the question I want to pose to you today, you may already know the answer, but for those of you that do not, why did Jesus come to the earth? What caused Almighty God to decide that He would become a man and dwell among us? What were His purposes in doing this? I mean, first... He came to heal the sick, right? In the prophecies about His first coming, back in Isaiah 53, it says, With His stripes we are healed. It's a messianic prophecy about Jesus. Jesus healed many people while He was here on the earth, and He still is able to heal today. Jesus also came to preach the kingdom of God. This was the theme of his preaching and teaching. He also came to bear witness of the truth. He came to to let us see God manifested or made visible in a human form. He wanted us to look at a real live human being who was God manifest in the flesh so that we could see him with our own eyes. He came to build His church and to provide a plan of salvation for us. And finally, He came to restore sonship to the human race, which was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. By the first Adam, we lost our sonship. Jesus came to restore that. He wanted us to be sons of God, so He had to create a plan so we could do that. So let's spend some time talking today about Jesus. You know, after Jesus' first miracle of turning the water into wine, He did many miracles. He opened blinded eyes. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the deaf to hear. He cleansed lepers. He fed 5,000 with with nothing but five loaves uh, of bread and two fish. And he raised the dead more than once. The most famous man that Jesus raised from the dead was Lazarus. And many people became Christians as a result of that miracle. Jesus did many miracles, mighty miracles. And he came to let us know that he is a worker of miracles. Both then and now, I might add. There's nothing that Jesus cannot do. 
And He is still able to heal and supply whatever we have need of. On our recent trip to Israel, this was just uh, back in June, we had a lady healed of cancerous tumors that were in her neck and in her leg. Folks, let me tell you, Jesus Christ is a healer in 2023. Jesus also came to preach the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 4 verse 43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Many Christians don't understand what is meant by preaching the kingdom of God. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he specifically told them to go and preach the kingdom of God in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Throughout the book of Acts, the disciples continually preached the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And when Jesus and his disciples preached the kingdom of God, what did they say? Well, in the Old Testament, Daniel provides a clear description of the message of what is meant by the kingdom of God. And this message, it's not just confined to the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament as well. And this is the message that Almighty God intended for the entire world to know from the beginning of time. You did lose your sonship, but I'm coming back and I'm going to establish a kingdom here on the earth. Let me show you how to be a part of that kingdom. That's the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then you present the plan of salvation to them. So in Daniel 2.44, the message of the kingdom is found at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's image prophecy. And this is the image of uh, the head of gold, the arms and breasts of silver, belly and thighs of brass, the legs of iron, and the feet of iron mingled with clay. Then a stone came down, rolling down out of the mountain, and smote the image on the feet of iron mingled with clay, on the last part of the image. And the entire image, representing human government, came crashing down and was replaced with this stone, which grew and filled the whole earth. Well, verse 44 is the conclusion of this prophecy, and it says, And in the days of these kings, the ten toes on Daniel's image, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, here it is, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these other human kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. The message is that God never intended for mankind to rule himself. He intended to lead mankind into the ways of happiness. But when Adam and Eve chose the path of disobedience and self-will or self-governance, rather than following God and doing His will, then this brought about human government or humans running their own lives. And boy, have humans really made a mess of that, right? And any time you take yourself out of the will of God and you're not trying to align yourself up with that will and to be a spirit-led individual and to line yourself up with the Word of God, oh man, you talk about making a mess of your life. 
But if you will align yourself with the Word of God, if you will align yourself with God's will, pray, seek His face, I'm telling you, God, once God starts running your life, and you start aligning yourself with Him, your life, will it go perfect? No. But God will help walk you through everything. Each step. The Bible says there's no trial, there's no tribulation that He has not made a way of escape of. He's not going to put more on you than you can bear. So, we're talking about why did Jesus come to earth? Why did God manifest Himself in the flesh? We're talking about it today because my program is devoted to Jesus Christ. We don't spend enough time on Him, but we're going to spend a lot more. A voice spoke to me and said, I've got something I want to show you. I was so sure God had talked to me. And I was stunned on what I saw. A direct fulfillment of this over 2,500-year-old prophecy. The United States will stand with Israel. Why haven't I ever seen this before? One-third of humanity will die. What do these beasts symbolize? The lion, the bear, the leopard. The combined beast from Revelation 13 represents the end-time government of the Antichrist. Understanding the end time. Now available for pre-order at endtime.com slash ABC. Go to endtime.com slash ABC or call 800-END-TIME. Are you ready for an extraordinary journey to the region that is the focus of more end-time Bible prophecy than any other. Well, look no further. Join us on an unforgettable journey to Israel. Our adventure begins down in Jerusalem where we will teach on the Mount of Olives, sing at the Garden of Gethsemane, walk down through the Kidron Valley, then we'll make our way north, have a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee while visiting Joppa, Mount Carmel, baptized in the Jordan River, and so much more. Don't miss out on this incredible trip to Israel. Spaces are limited. Book your tour today. Visit endtime.com slash tour or call us at 1-800-END-TIME. Join us for an experience that you will never forget. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. So it's a perplexing question, isn't it? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did God feel compelled to robe himself in flesh and come and die? Well, because from the time of Adam and Eve and their fall, when they ate of the forbidden fruit, they sinned. And that separated man from God. And they lost their sonship. So from that time... 
mankind has ruled himself. The message of the kingdom of God is that there is a time coming when human governments will cease to exist and we will crown Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is the reason the angels at the time of Jesus' birth sang on the hillsides of Bethlehem, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill toward men. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He has come so that we can become sons of God again. When the angel appeared to Mary, he told her that the child will sit on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom will be forever. So the message of the kingdom of God is that human governments will soon come to an end, and we are on the brink of his second coming right now. And when he comes, human governments will be suspended, and Jesus Christ will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, when people hear the term end time, they think, oh, that's them, those end of the world nuts. They think it's the end of the world. That's not what we're talking about. When we say end time, we're not talking about the end of the world whenever after the great white throne judgment and we go off into eternity. Because there's going to be another 1,000 years of human existence upon the earth called the millennium once Jesus comes back a second time. So when we talk about the end time, we're not talking about the end of the world. We're talking about the end of this age. And this, that the, the millennium, that's going to be a time of peace. But when we refer to the end time, we're referring to the end of human government here and the beginning of the reign of Jesus Christ for that 1,000-year period. Now that, the second coming of Jesus Christ, is just ahead of us now. But I'm still wanting to focus on Jesus today, because everything we teach centers around Him and His coming, and I want my relationship with Him, and I, I want to go be with Him someday. So, how do we become part of the kingdom of God? This is mainly what Jesus came to do. How do you become part of the kingdom of God? Well, in John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader of his day, but he had no concept of the kingdom of God. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus cuts through everything, and he says, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus said, he didn't even have, he was like, what are you talking about? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter again into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I'm saying unto you, listen to me closely, except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This was Jesus's message. So Jesus Christ dropped this bombshell in John 3 and he called his plan of salvation being born again. Man, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just launch this um, reform program? He knew that we needed a rebirth. He needed to recreate our spiritual DNA and give us a brand new leash on life because everybody has sinned. And I needed to be reborn. Jesus called it being born again. I needed a brand new start in life. 
So immediately Nicodemus, he didn't understand the term. It's the first time the term is even used in the Bible. But he was, he, you know, he was kind of up there in years a little bit, and he didn't see how it was possible to be born again. And so he questioned, how could he enter again into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus was not talking about a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. Remember, the Old Testament was types and shadows of the things that come in the New Testament. So we've got to marry these two, right? And we cannot rule and reign with Jesus in His kingdom. Remember, the Bible says that we will rule and reign as kings and priests with Him for that thousand years in His physical kingdom here on the earth. Well, we can't rule and reign with Him in His kingdom unless we are part of the royal family, right? Those that go in the rapture, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Our bodies are going to be changed from mortal to immortal. Why? Because we've been born again. We're part of the royal family. We're part of the bride of Christ. And we can only rule and reign with Him if we have been born again and have become sons of God. Remember, sonship was lost with Adam and Eve. But it's regained when an individual is born again. Now we've become sons of God. We have a right to the throne through the inheritance once we become the sons of God. We cannot become a son of God unless we are born again. And this is how we escape the sonship of the first Adam. When they fell and sin entered into the human race, this is how we escape that. And we take on the sonship of the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And this happens when we're born again. And we trade one, we trade one lineage for another. We trade a, 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 um, a carnal lineage for a spiritual lineage. Now, for a, a conclusive explanation of the biblical plan of salvation called being born again, it's very easy. Call 1-800-363-8463 and ask for a free brochure or... You can simply go to uh, What Do You Mean Born Again or ask for that brochure or visit endtime.com slash reborn. And you can read through that. If there's anything you need to do, anything we can help you with, let us know. Uh, I can find you a church. I can do, I mean, whatever it takes to help everybody prepare for that day that's coming because we want everybody to be sons sons of God. Now, if I had to say one thing to you today, I would say, don't wait. Be born. If you have not been born again, do it. Go read the brochure, endtime.com slash reborn. Make sure you're born again. Uh, and then you can start living as a Christian, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what a way to live. I mean, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 28, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. I want things working together for my good, don't you? Even when it looks like things are going south, I know that all things are working together for my good. Maybe God sent a trial into my life where He's trying to work out something that maybe a a, a false idea or maybe a little bit of pride or bitterness or something. God's got, the Bible says he will chastise people with backsliding. Sometimes he will send maybe a little trial or something into your life to, to whittle on you or to weed, to weed something out of your life. But I can look back over my trials and things I've faced in my life and say, man, I know that that was God because look on the backside of that, the Bible says I will come forth as gold tried in the fire. You put gold in the fire, what happens? It melts down and the impurities come to the top. 
So when you get under pressure, when you get in a trial situation, God can work out some of those impurities. And you should be thankful for every one of those. It's not fun while it's going on, but man, you can come out on the other side and come out a lot better person, right? That's what God's trying to do. So Jesus taught the principles of the kingdom of God as well. When we study the parables of Jesus, most of them have to do kind of directly or indirectly with the kingdom of God. Read down through there. The kingdom of God is like, the, he would say, um, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a, a man that goes into a field and finds a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is that, remember, all the way down through there, he's talking about what's the kingdom of heaven like? He's shaping everything. He's teaching us. He's molding our mind, recreating our spiritual DNA, right? He's preparing us for the kingdom that's coming is what he's doing. Jesus also came to bear witness to the truth. John 1.17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth did not come by the law. The rich young ruler had kept the law, but he still didn't have the full truth. You remember that? The Ten Commandments could not contain all of the truth. The law defined the problem. But Jesus brought the solution. Man, you ought to post that on our Facebook page. That's a great one. The law defined the problem, but Jesus brought the solution. Jesus stood before Pilate in John 18, 37, 38. And it says, Pilate therefore said unto Jesus, Art thou the king then? Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Well, Pilate said unto him, Well, what is truth? And when he said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and he said unto them, I find no fault at all. So here we have a high-ranking politician, a, 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 a governor, and he was saying to Jesus cynically, your truth may not be my truth, no religion is truth, but if it's right in your own eyes, hey, then I'm happy for you. And I don't happen to believe the same thing, though. You know, I've actually heard this. Have you ever heard that statement told to you before if you're out trying to work with people and do different things in ministry? Well, I just don't see it that way. I believe something else. As if that does, as if that in, uh, makes the truth irrelevant. No. The Bible says, let God be true, let every man be a liar. If the Bible says it, that's it. That is it. There are not even two ways. There's the Bible, and then there's everything else. So, Jesus said, I am here to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate replied, Ha! Truth! What is truth? Jesus looked back at him and he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. That's John 14, 6. So, here we are, 2,000 years later, in 2023. And do you know what the question is today? It's the same question. What is truth? I mean, Buddhism, Mohammedism. All these different parliament of world's religions. All these different thousands and thousands of religions. Thousands of belief systems. Jesus Christ said in John 8, 32, And ye shall know the truth. The truth. He didn't say, you shall have your version of the truth. Or you shall know the truths, plural. 
He said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth will set us free whether we live in communist China, whether we're living in Cuba, whether we live here in the United States of America. The truth is the truth. This Bible is the truth no matter where you get it or what interpretation that you have, what translation you have. It doesn't matter where we live because once we receive the truth, nothing can enslave us because we know the truth and the truth has made us free. The born-again plan of salvation in the New Testament here that Jesus purchased on Calvary, it's the same thing no matter what continent you're on, no matter what country you're in, no matter what city you're in, no matter. If you live out in the woods, it's still the truth, guys. Jesus Christ also came to earth to let us see God in a human form. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest or made visible in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Who was? God was. The angel appeared to Mary and he said, um, He shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Jesus Christ was God, manifested in a human form so all of us could see him. And this is the reason that studying about his ministry, what he said, what he did, the the red letter editions of the Bible where you can go just read what Jesus said and what he meant by what he said, the study of this is so vital because when we know him, we know God. He is the express image of the invisible God. John 1.10 reveals that he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Jesus created the worlds. They, they, they looked at their creator, and they nailed him on the cross, though, right? They, they were so blind, and their eyes were shut so tight. They looked at their creator, whom they claimed to love, but instead they actually hated him. Because they had created a God in their own minds who was nothing like the true God. And this is the reason John 5.39 says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But when he came, they didn't know him. So in in the beginning, God created the worlds. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens, the heaven and the earth. So we can see from this passage that Jesus was God manifest in a fleshly form. Isaiah 9, 6, remember, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's a messianic prophecy of the coming Messiah. And the Bible says the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Aren't you thankful for the truth today? I don't have to sit here and wonder, Wow, I wish I know the truth. I hope I'm in the truth. I don't sit here and wonder that. The Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I know the truth, and it's found right here in the Word of God. And man, am I so thankful I have the truth. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. 
I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself. You are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is. That's where our reward is. time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time. Understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime. That's 800-363-8463. You know, everyone, Jesus Christ is your hope. There is no other hope. You can't, when, when the time of the rapture happens, you can't have faith in your money. It, you can't have faith in a, this an, a, 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 one unbelievable education or a, uh, a, your pedigree. The, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but that you, you can't rely upon uh, your your family or somebody to get you to heaven. You have to have a personal relation with Jesus Christ. And it's very, very important that we understand Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus. So, I've got to have a relationship with Him. The thesis of the entire Bible, folks, is your relationship with God and your relationship with your fellow man. And so, I've, we've got to get it right, don't we? And we're all a work in progress. I get it. But when we talk about Jesus, I get fired up more than any prophecy. I'm talking about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, not only did Jesus come to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to allow us to see Him in human form, but He came here to build His church. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, 15 through 16, and then verse 18, the Bible says, And He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, Well, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this happened up in uh, Banias, up at Caesarea Philippi, up there by that big cave with the gates of hell. We talk about it every time we go up there. And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, And I, and I, uh, Jesus said, and I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I understand many people have misinterpreted this passage to mean that, hey, Peter was the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. That's not what Jesus was saying. When Peter made the confession that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus looked at him and said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of the confession that you just made, Peter, the fact that I am the Christ. That's the rock upon which I will build my church. And there's a, hu there's a huge religion based on the fact of 
hey, that God would build His church on Peter. But that's not what Jesus was saying. It was the revelation that He was, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ephesians 2, uh, 19-20, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the house of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. The fact that Jesus is the chief cornerstone is the rock, and He is the Christ. And upon this cornerstone, Jesus said that He would build His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you want the the house of your life to stand when the storms of life rage, everybody has either faced a storm or you will face a storm in this life. And I believe they're raging now and they're going to continue to rage even more. I mean, we've got the end times ahead of us. We're going to face some stuff. Let's face it. But if you want a, if you want your foundation of your life based upon and set upon a rock, Make sure Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of your life. Do do any of y'all understand anything about construction? I used to build houses and do all kinds of big construction projects. And a cornerstone is designed to be laid in such a way that everything, I mean, you get that thing set perfect. And then everything is built off of that. Everything is aligned with that cornerstone. And as we're building our lives, don't forget to ask, what would Jesus do? Allow Jesus to be the cornerstone of your life. If I'm going to make this decision, what would Jesus do? If I'm going to make this decision in my life, what would Jesus do? Any major decision in your life, you've got to consult, what would Jesus do? Let me go through His Word and see... Uh, if I can live a certain lifestyle, if I can do a certain thing. Uh, because the Word of God is designed to help disciple you, and it'll put a fence around you to keep bad things from coming in. Oh, I can't watch uh, pornographic movies. That's going to destroy me. That'll destroy my marriage. It'll, I can't um, worship more than one God. I can't, you know, you're going to be led astray. I can't do this or go there. It's not a a list of do's and don'ts. A lot of people see the Bible as that. But the Bible is a hedge of protection to keep the wicked wiles of Satan from getting in your mind. That's why you should always study the Word of God. Make sure you get these principles deep inside you because Satan's going to shoot darts at you, right? And I want to make sure he cannot. I've got a defense up. And so... Don't forget, allow Jesus to be the cornerstone in your life. Don't forget to ask, what would Jesus do? Now, does this decision, you know, do these decisions line up with Jesus and the Word of God? And when we build our lives according to God's Word, it will stand the most severe storms of this life. I promise you. I've known people that have been through divorce. They've been through a a loss of a close family member. I mean, uh, uh, just tragic things that have happened in your life. People have lost... Um, jobs and all kinds of stuff, and God has walked them through storms of their life. I've been through storms in my life, and I can look back and say, wow, I didn't, I didn't recognize it while it was happening, but God sure walked me through that storm. Woo! But if you're not relying upon God, uh, you can face that storm on your own, and it's not fun. 
So allow Jesus to be that cornerstone. Jesus said that He would build His church upon the rock, which is the truth. Jesus built the church upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He spent His life training 12 men so they could become the foundation of the church. Look at the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. On the foundations, the 12 names of the 12 apostles, right? The foundation of the church. John 8, 24, um, it says, I said, that, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Acts 4, 12, 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation through Muhammad or Brahma or some of these others. These human beings calling themselves the Messiah today. That's not the case. There are no physical messiahs. Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Matthew 24, As the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Anybody in Israel or New York or anywhere else that says, Hey, I'm the Messiah. No, no, it's not going to work like that. Jesus Christ is coming in the clouds with the saints. When you see that, now hopefully you're with him, but I'm saying that's how he's coming back. In Matthew 24, he said, if they say he's in the desert, if they say he's over here, don't go, because that's not him. That's not going to be me. And so we've got to get these things as solid as a rock in our mind. There is no salvation through anyone else, because there is, neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Except we believe that Jesus is God, we are going to die in our sins. This is scriptural. We don't have to be hateful when we say these words. I don't hate anybody by telling them the truth. We can say them in love because this is the only name that can save all of those people who don't yet know Him. You know, throughout history... Uh, most emperors built their kingdoms upon the blood of their enemies. Jesus was building a different kind of kingdom. He built his own kingdom, not on the blood of his enemies, but on his own blood. Acts 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his blood. Jesus gave his own life because the life is in the blood. And he gave his own life so we could have eternal life. And in this passage right here, the Apostle Paul was admonishing ministers to feed the church of God. Say, feed the church? What do you mean? Like have dinners on Sunday afternoon? No. We need to, we need, our life needs spiritual food in order to survive spiritually. How do you get fed then? Uh, Jeremiah 3.15, the Bible says, And I will give you pastors according to my own heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Have you ever heard a, um, been involved in a good Bible study, a good Bible lesson, or, or just been under, uh, heard a sermon where the guy was just red fire, he was just fired up red hot, and he was uh, on, he was just anointed by God, and man, you just, when you left the service, you just felt full, like, man, I just, that was just a steak dinner, right? 
that guy was anointed and he spoke right to my heart. And I mean, he was, a, you could tell that guy was giving us a message from God, not a speech. But he was giving us a message, anointed message straight from God. You ever been through that, folks? Man, I've been through so many of them. And I just left church like I was walking on a cloud. Because that man was anointed. He was called by God. He'd been in a prayer room. He prayed his heart hot. He got a message from God and he stepped in a pulpit and he delivered that message from God and it spoke right to the church. It spoke right to individuals into what they're going through and God spoke to them and oh man, my life, it just cleanses your soul, doesn't it? That's the way to live, folks. I'm telling you, you don't have to go through life uh, relying upon your own intellect and your own uh, will and your, you know, managing yourself. No, turn your life over to Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Oh, man, I feel like I've been to church already, y'all. You know, Jesus really, he came to provide salvation. Let's just face it. I mean, in Matthew 1, 21, Bible says, and he shall, he shall bring, uh, and she, I'm sorry, she, let me get that pronoun correct. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. So sin is a destructive force, right? I mean, if we don't get saved from our sins, it will destroy you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So uh, the Bible says Jesus tasted sin for every man. Hebrews 2.9 But we see Jesus, who, hath, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with the glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So every one of us was under the sentence of death. Everybody listening to me, we were all born under the sentence of death. It happened with Adam and Eve. It entered the human race. It just, we entered the law of sin and death. And Jesus loved us and didn't want us to die, though. Jesus did not have to die because he had never sinned. But he decided to come down to earth and taste death in our place. When we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. That's uh, Romans 6.3. When we are born again, we are in Christ. If any, man be, if, if any man's in Jesus Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You've got new spiritual DNA, folks. You've been reborn spiritually. You've got a new leash on life. All of your sins are washed away and forgiven. Everything you've ever done. It's the most awesome way to live, I can tell you. And then you live as a Christian the rest of the days of your life. You make a mistake, ask God to forgive you, get up off your knees and keep on trucking. Stay on the straight and narrow and he that endures to the end shall be saved. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. 
We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you, and we love you. You know, everyone, I, 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 feel, I feel better than I did when I walked in here and I put this whole lesson together. Just talking about Jesus. I mean, I love talking about prophecy. I'll talk about that all day. But man, when we get on the subject of Jesus Christ, I start flying around like I'm a bird. Because Jesus died for me. He died so I could go to be with Him someday. Jesus died in our place, and He came to deliver us from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? Um, Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. Here it is. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's it. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. All of us were under that sentence. The law ruled the human race from Adam until Jesus Christ. And the, 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 um, the Bible says the law was a schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. Uh, Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. When Jesus came, He came to deliver us from the law of sin and death. He came for many reasons, as I went over today. But now we have a new law in John seven thirty eight. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said... Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, Jesus came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. John, Jesus said in John eleven twenty six, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I am never, never going to die. You say, now Dave, now whoa, 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 hold on a second. Your father-in-law passed away. Listen. If my father-in-law went by the way of the grave on November 3rd, 2020, if I go by the way of the grave, Jesus always called this sleep. When he referred to the saints that had passed on, they're sleeping. Lazarus, he's just sleeping. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, it feels good to know that I'm never going to die, and I'm going to live forever, a spiritual death. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. This is the reason Jesus came, so He could taste death for every man, and we could escape from the penalty of sin, which is death. Now, do you love Jesus more than, I, than when I started the program? I do. I love Him more every minute. Every time I think about what He did for me, I love Him more and more and more. I don't know of anybody else that's ever given their life for me that I know of or that had never sinned but just loved me enough to come and die in my place. But yet I've heard people ridicule and make fun of Jesus and use His name in vain and all kinds of stuff. And I think, oh man, if you guys just knew Him and what He had done for you, you wouldn't do that. You would not do that. Jesus came to restore 
sonship. I mean, God originally created the human race to be His children, okay? He intended to start a new order of beings called the sons of God. Luke chapter 3 traces uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam. And it ends with, and Adam, which was the son of God. Because God created, God had created him. He was his father. Now, we don't find any other human sons of God in the Old Testament. Again, I said human sons of God in the Old Testament because um, Adam and Eve lost their sonship through disobedience. From Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't find, we don't find any sons of God from Adam and Eve until Jesus Christ was born. Human sons of God. I know in Job chapter 1, the Bible says that the sons of God appeared before God to give an account and Satan was with them. Those are angels. I'm talking about human sons of God from Adam and Eve to Jesus Christ. When Jesus was born, the angel said to Mary, that holy thing which shall be conceived in you shall be called the Son of God. He came to earth to bring many sons into glory and to author a plan of salvation that could enable us to become sons of God. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Uh, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So we receive power to become the sons of God when we partake of his plan of salvation. What's the plan of salvation? Again, John 3, 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nicodemus, except a man's born again, he can't enter, he can't um, see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said back, How can a man be born again when he's old? Enter again into his mother's womb? No. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man's born of the water and the spirit, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. We regain sonship through God's plan of salvation. We must be born again to become a part of the kingdom of God and part of God's family, God's bride, God's church. Notice the scripture says we must be born of the water and the spirit. Romans 8.14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's what we want to be. I want to be a son of God. And this, this is both male and female here. When Adam and Eve, uh, they, were under the, they were in the sonship roles, or they were, in the, the, they were sons of God, and m- myself and my wife are sons of God. And so you've got to understand the, the terminology here. So my question is, are you led by the Spirit of God? And you, you know, it, a lot of people, their eyes glaze over when you say, am I led by the Spirit of God? What are you talking about? I mean, we say these words in... Um, Christianity, but many times we may not know what they are talking about. Um, doesn't it stand to reason that if you have to be led by the Spirit of God to be a son of God, that you would need to be, that you would need the Spirit to be Spirit-led, right? I mean, Luke 3.16, John answered and, and saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John was baptizing 
unto repentance in water. I don't know what John was saying when he baptized the individuals, but he was baptizing them unto repentance. The Bible doesn't really tell us what he specifically said. But he was telling them, you're going to have to turn away from your old lifestyle. Repentance is to turn away from. But he said the one who's coming after him would baptize with the Holy Ghost. All of us believers in Jesus Christ need to have the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We have, the, we have to be full of the Spirit of God in order to be Spirit-led. Well, what does that really mean? Right? Well, Jesus talked about this repeatedly in John uh, 4, 13-14. Jesus answered and said unto the woman uh, of, at the well, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. Remember, he came up to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he said, Hey, give me a drink. And he's talking to her, and he said, Whoever drinks of this water, they're going to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, he's never going to thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus had stopped by um, the, the, the well in Samaria, the Samaritan woman who had come to draw water. Jesus wanted to witness to her. He said, woman, give me a drink. She said, sure, but I got a question for you. What in the world? You're a Jew. What are you doing talking to me, a Samaritan? Jews normally don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. And why are you talking to me? And Jesus didn't even address her concern or the prejudices. In John 14, 10, or I'm sorry, John 4, 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knew the gift of God and who it was that's talking to you, and said, Give me a drink, thou wouldst have asked of me, and I would have given you living water. Jesus used this terminology over and over in his ministry. Living water, living water. And Jesus attended um, a, a great feast at one point in Jerusalem. In John uh, 7, 37 through 39. Bible says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Uh, this was during the, um, oh man, the, the water libation ceremony. And Jesus said, hey, I understand what you guys are doing. You're mixing the water and the blood and the wine and everything. But if any man would just, if any man's thirsting, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But, but this spake he of the, whole, of the Spirit, which they believe they that believe on Him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So He was teaching them about something they could not have. But He knew they needed it, and He was preparing them to receive the Spirit. So when He spoke to them about rivers of living water, He was telling them about something that was coming that they could not have that day because the Holy Ghost was not yet given. The Holy Ghost was not yet given until after Jesus left, left the earth, and um, that was they, the Holy Ghost was given in Acts chapter two, verse one through four. If you want to go read about it, so before Jesus left, he gave the apostles a commandment to receive the Holy Ghost because he knew they would need it more than anything else. Uh, John chapter twenty, verse twenty-two says, "And when he had said this, he breathed upon them, and he said unto them, You guys receive the Holy Ghost.' Well, what, what's happening here? Well, remember how God breathed on." Adam to make him the first son of God. Well, Jesus was breathing on them, telling them, receive the Holy Ghost. And the last day of Jesus's, Jesus Christ's presence on the earth is, at, is it's found in um, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. 
The Bible says, and, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized of the Holy Ghost many days since. Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, right? So he used the term, the promise of the Father, repeatedly during his ministry. This is the treasure in the field that Jesus was speaking of in one of his parables. This is what Jesus had planned for the human race. He instructed them to not leave Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. And then, of course, they received that promise a few days later in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Now, I might be talking to you today and you say, Oh, Dave, come on. You don't know what I've done. Jesus can't love me that much. He didn't really come die for me. Dave, you've got a perfect background. Jesus Christ died for you. Nope, I've sinned. I've done stupid stuff in my life. I've done stuff I would be embarrassed to tell you about. All of us have sinned. Jesus Christ died for everybody. You say, but yeah, I was in church and I backslid. I don't care. Jesus Christ loves you. Come home. You say, but uh, I'm in an adulterous affair. Stop your adulterous affair. Come to Jesus. Uh, But I'm a liar, a cheat, a thief. Stop. Come to Jesus. But Dave, I've done horrible things I would be embarrassed to say. Everybody has. Stop what you're doing. Come to Jesus. Jesus Christ will set you free. That's why Jesus came. To make you a son of God, just like Adam and Eve. He restored sonship when he came with the act of Calvary. Death, burial, resurrection. When you're born again... You're a son of God. You're in that relationship. You're in the family. You're in the bride of Christ. You're in the church. I don't care what you've done. Jesus Christ came and died for you. So, backsliders, come home. If you're not in church, get in church. If you've never been born again, be born again. Because this is why Jesus came. And we're going to be with him some days, coming back before very long to establish his kingdom here on the earth. And just like Jesus, just like the apostles, I'm teaching you the gospel of the kingdom. And you need to be prepared for that day, which will happen very soon now. God bless.